Tuesday, May 22nd. This is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Stock Advisor, Jason Moser, from Motley Fool Special Ops, Mike Olson, and from Motley Fool Inside Value, Uncle Joe Maker. Gentlemen, good, what up? Hey, good hey. to see you. Hello. Uh, we will get into the latest from Best Buy, J.P. Morgan Chase, and the future of the automotive industry, but we are going to begin again with Facebook. Day three for Facebook as a public company, and the slide continues. Shares down another three, uh, 3% this morning. Facebook is now trading about 15% below where it IPO, Joe Maker. What do you make of is all Is that this? bad? Is that bad? That's a bumpy start. Yeah, that's pretty terrible. I mean, this has been a total disappointment <laughs> and flop for pretty much everyone involved. Uh, the way the stock has dropped has been a black eye for Morgan Stanley, who was the lead underwriter. It's a black eye for Facebook because they wanted their stock to go strong out of the gate. It's disappointing if you're an employee and you've got a lot of options there. If you are someone who bought the stock at the IPO thinking you're going to make a quick buck, shame on you. But also... <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's definitely we, we a, tried to warn you. We did. I don't think we could have been any clearer about how you should not have bought into this IPO. But it's been a total flop all around, and it's got to be a huge disappointment. You mentioned Morgan Stanley. Uh, there were reports today that Morgan Stanley actually cut earnings estimates right before the stock went public. And Jason, not surprisingly, the proverbial blame game has started with some people blaming Morgan Stanley. That that. You know, uh, earnings estimate cut that should have been more widely disseminated. What do you think of all this? If is it a, just a distraction for Facebook, or is there there actually some some fire where we see this little bit of smoke? It sounds nefarious. I mean, it, it certainly doesn't look good on paper. But uh, you know, the bottom line is we knew going in here that with a thirty eight dollar price set on the stock, that implied a very very heady valuation. I mean, you look at something where. They compare it to we compare the stock price today to something like Google or Apple or Amazon, and just on a price to sales metric, it you know it, it, it IPO'd it around I think twenty twenty one times, and Amazon, Google, Apple, it's that's just far higher than any of those three proven profitable businesses. So anyone who did their homework going into this knew this was going to be a very expensive stock to begin with, and yeah, so this right. is not terribly surprising. I I think that's what you really need to. I mean, everyone wants to be really pissed off as if they've been done some great disservice because the stock <laughs> declined. I'm going to put something out there, which is that you transact in markets at your own risk. There is no like new deal or some bailout plan for people who decide they want to buy IPO shares of Facebook. Uh, you're a pretty privileged individual if you can do that, and you should be able to think. Um, outside of that, I mean, <laughs> it's just like, Let's consider the role of investment banks in this whole equation. They are supposed to get the most money a company can possibly get in its initial public offering. They aren't supposed to like leave money on the table so Joe Investor, all due respect, <laughs> Not can, make, Joe can make money. I mean, these, this is the way capital markets work, and you as an informed participant are supposed to make a decision. Joe? Yeah, well, that's true, but they're also trying to set the stock up for success. I mean, remember, they only sold a small percentage of the business yep. as part of this. So Mark Zuckerberg, for example, sold some of his stock, but he still owns the huge bulk of it. And I assure you that he would have gladly taken leaving a little bit of money on the table with the small stake he's selling in exchange for the rest of his stake taken off. There are a lot of people who still own it, too. I mean, there's a lockup period that's going to be in there for a while, so people can't just unload it. But you know, I mean, Mike makes a very good point there. You know going into this the risks involved. And so, I mean, for example, I, I, I look at Facebook as a company that potentially could be, you know, it could change generations to come. I think it's 
it's going to be a pretty fascinating company to follow and watch. And I think it would be a compelling investment, just not at these price levels. And yet, the narrative for this company, or certainly for this stock, is not a good one. On CNBC this morning, Jim Cramer said, Facebook is now seen as a loser, and the only way they're going to change that is to come out with a really good earnings report. And unfortunately for them, they're not going to be able to come out with an earnings report for another 10, 12 weeks. Well, that's the secondary issue, which is basically that if you're an investor, you're thinking about the stock on its ability to generate cash flow across a much longer term. And so the fact that these shares might have come out at $38 and they're now down to 33 34 is kind of a non sequitur in the scheme of things. You're pretty disappointed if you bought them at 38 But yet again, that was your choice and your fault. Well, yeah. Mac, we got it. I mean, Facebook seen as the loser out there now. It's become the MySpace of the public markets. We were just talking about that <laughs> earlier, right? MySpace is looking at him now and say, yep, now you know how we feel. <laughs> I, I think it's all kind of short-sighted, to be honest. I mean, I think the stock is grossly overvalued. Don't get me wrong. But I also think that if they come out and post like a 60 or 70% top-line gain in the second quarter, all this talk about Facebook being a loser is going to go away real fast. Right. So what what gets you interested in the stock? Do you wait for for that first earnings report? Do you wait for it to, you know, if along the way it gets beaten down even more? Or somewhere between now and that first earnings report, do they need to come out with something that hints towards a second act, an acquisition that leads to a premium membership model, something like that? What gets you interested? Price. I actually love Facebook, the business. I just don't love the valuation. I think at a price near $20, I'd start to be interested because it is still eating up a ton of mind share. It's going to gather a lot of the online uh, advertising market that's growing about 12% a year. I mean, it's a huge market and they're a major player. And at the right price, I'd be interested. Jason? Yeah, I agree with Joe. Price is first and foremost. I, I put right around $25 a line where I'd start really getting interested. And I think that they're going to really focus on on working on their mobile platform because that's their weakness right now. I mean, for everything that Facebook does well, their mobile platform is seen as a barrier right now, a problem. Mike? I, I mean, I'll, I'll get it right out front. This is the type of stock I'm always going to be wrong on one way or another. <laughs> but, I mean, I think the, the very interesting part about the model is that they have great data, they have great information, their analytics are bar none. However, we don't really have a clear idea of how they're going to use these huge swaths of unstructured data and be able to monetize it, create profits. And I mean, for me, that's just an open question. I want to I know what your strategy is, and they probably won't reveal it. Well, I think we know what they're doing with it. I think the question is how much more that they can do with it. And they're trying to optimize that, and they've rolled out some new offerings uh, for advertisers. But you know, I'm also a little skeptical about the introduction of using social signals into marketing. And, you know, we'll see how that works out. Right. Well, it's the scope of it. That's kind of what I'm getting at here. Uh, Yesterday, shares of Best Buy hit their lowest point in five years. Today, shares are up more than 3% thanks to better-than-expected earnings. We haven't heard that in a while, I think, from from Best Buy, Mike. What's uh, what's the story for Best Buy? I mean, the story is that they basically are in a rock and a hard spot. It has been said that they are the blockbuster of the big-box electronic retailers, and I will be honest, I have a hard time thinking of it any other way. They have been disintermediated in just about every way that is conceivable. There is a shift in the way people buy the product. They're getting eaten at by much larger retailers. It's a working capital or it's a capital intensive business. And so it's just like, how how do you compete there? I, I see this as like, okay, you're not dying and you're still generating cash flow, but you'll continue to die. 
uh, on the call, uh, Mike Mikan, who's the interim CEO, uh, one of several interim CEOs uh, in the public markets these days, it seems like. Um, he he made reference to Best Buy being in a turnaround, but he didn't really offer any details as to what the turnaround plan is. Um, so let's just engage in some wild speculation, Jason. What I mean, what if we're sitting here two years from now and Best Buy has really turned a corner, what what potentially does that look like? Well, I think we got some hints on the call, at least, as to what they're thinking about. And, and what it looks like they're trying to do is go back to their quote-unquote roots as as providing oh, an excellent good. yeah providing an excellent customer experience with technological savvy so you know in layman's terms you walk into a Best Buy store and you ask them what does this computer do and you're actually going to run into someone who can tell you what that computer does versus another computer you know next to it and so they're going to have to number one focus on being a smaller company it's just not going to be the same Best Buy we know and love uh, but I you know this a good example is this this thing they're providing this new service to millions of AARP members so. <laughs> All you retired folks out there, remember this. I think what they're trying to do, though, is take advantage of of an overwhelming, yeah, an overwhelming population <laughs> of old folks who don't really know how the technology works. So they're taking their geek squad and their customer service and trying to cater that to be more of a service company as opposed to just a big box retailer. Whether they can pull that off, who knows? But it's 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 gotten a lot whacked off of its market cap here thus far. So. Joe? Yeah, they put themselves in this position. It's not just that there's this mega trend going towards buying online and consumer electronics are changing. You know, Best Buy for me, when I think about the experience for going back a decade plus, is I walk in there and I buy something and they try and upsell me obnoxiously and they try and sell me a warranty for something that I don't need. That's always been the case there. I, I bought an Apple TV a few months ago for 100 bucks, and they tried to sell me a warranty, like a two-year warranty. <laughs> I think... I forget if it was 30 or $50, but I was like, doesn't that seem like a large percentage of the price for an object that will just sit on my desktop and has a manufacturer's warranty? And the guy was like, oh, well. Uh, uh. Well, when you put it that way. Well, I mean, and that gets to the other point, which is they, they want to be the the person who is a purveyor of great technology to idiots. That's essentially what they're saying. It's like, I like technology, but I really don't want to think about it. Um and that requires you to hire people who uh, cost more. And um, I don't know. My experiences at Best Buy were basically that you like have been that you walk in and you ask someone a very elementary question, and then they ask five more people. <laughs> um, and so that does not really say much of the value proposition there. Yeah. So just to put oh. some math around the quarter, same store sales were down over five percent. Uh, worldwide electronic sales at Amazon grew 43% last quarter. Those are tough numbers when you put it that way. Um, I mentioned the stock just yesterday hitting a five-year low, but apparently, Joe, that's not low enough for a value investor like you. What uh, Same question is with Facebook. What what gets you guys interested in a stock like this? Do, do we need to see much more significant cost-cutting of uh, far greater numbers in terms of store closures, get a much smaller footprint? Um, I mean, I think Best Buy is in a long-term terminal fade, and I wouldn't say that about many companies, but I think they're in that boat, so there's virtually no price that I would actually be interested in. How about 50 cents a share? <laughs> what if I cut you a deal? Yeah, I mean, I would I would take a stub right there. <laughs> that would be a serious There's also going to be a warranty that I'm going to sell you yeah, along I mean, with it, the shares. At least with Barnes & Noble, which you know I've, we've trashed, I've trashed on the show so many times, at least they have the nook and there's some sort of call option. In Best Buy's case, they're in a much less advantageous position. 
Uh, guys, remember back in March when J.P. Morgan Chase uh, got the green light for a $15 billion plan to buy back its own shares? Uh, you can you can forget about that. Uh, CEO Jamie Dimon announced that the company is suspending that plan. Um, Jamie Dimon's kind of been taken to the woodshed uh, publicly lately, Joe. Um, what do you think of this decision? Is this is this the right call, even just from a perception standpoint, or is this a mistake? I'm kind of eh about it. I think it was the right call in the sense that this isn't like when Coca-Cola suspended their repurchase plan back in the financial crisis. Well, Coke was going to keep selling Coke, incrementally fewer, but still plenty of them, and it still had a strong balance sheet. When you're talking about banks, solvency is everything, and the perception of solvency and financial strength is everything, because perception becomes reality. And in this case, they know more about their books than we do, albeit they know less about them than they thought they did a couple of months ago. Uh, but broader point being, they do need to keep that perception of having a fortress balance sheet. And if they give people a different reason to think that, then it could be a self-perpetuating problem. But Mike, uh, just to be devil's advocate, if back in March, J.P. Morgan's Chase is trading at 45, and they're looking to repurchase shares then, when it's at 45, now it's at 34. Couldn't you make the argument that this is exactly the wrong time to suspend the buyback well, plan? Well, I mean, you say that, and I think that Joe makes a very salient point regarding perception being reality in banks. And it makes me wonder whether or not the market has this altogether wrong by bidding the shares up 5% today. Because it, it certainly begs the question, does Jamie Dimon and JP Morgan management, do they just not have any idea what the magnitude of the losses are? Now, they came out and obviously they were in uber damage control mode when mm -hmm. they came out with the Q, or, and they said we have a $2 billion trading loss. Thereafter, they upped to $3 billion. Now, they say, well, we're suspending the dividend amid all the tumult surrounding that. It certainly begs the question. They're, they're suspending the buyback plan. They're maintaining I'm the sorry, dividend. They're suspending the buyback, yes, and they, they are maintaining the dividend. But it, it makes you ask the question, what is their capital position? As a general rule of thumb, uh, when it comes to capital allocation, do you prefer to see companies paying out a dividend rather than a share buyback plan, Joe? Yes, all things equal, usually because most companies don't have any ability to buy back stock at good prices. Jason, you agree uh, Yeah, with I agree. I mean, dividends are cash in shareholders' pocket, and you just know that most times they're buying back shares at the wrong time. Yeah, I mean, the empirical research is it is pretty compelling here. Most managers are horrible at repurchasing their shares. And there are very good explanations from a behavioral and economic standpoint. But the truth is, they just they can't do it well. So <laughs> I got to say, a lot of good drama going on over the last few weeks when it comes to public company CEOs. You got Jamie Dimon, you got Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook. He, we haven't mentioned him in a week or so, but uh, our good friend at Chesapeake Energy, Aubrey McClendon. Oh, I mean, there's, Aubrey. I'm sure another hedge fund Bring will bubble up. There's, there's just a lot of, <laughs> lot of drama going on. Uh, finally, Volvo Trucks has unveiled its plan to launch a 13 liter natural gas engine scheduled to hit the North American market in 2014. The engine features technology from Westport Innovations, a company recommended, uh, Jason, by Motley Fool Stock Advisor. Shares of Westport up about 15% in the past two days. <laughs> yeah. Is this 
I mean, I don't follow the stock as closely as you do. Has the stock just sort of been beaten down and this is a, a glimmer of good news? Or is this the market saying, no, we actually think there's there's something there with, with this natural gas engine? Westport has been a, a, a bumpy ride, to say the least. But we have other companies on the card as well, and Cummins and in clean energy fuels that are also part of the of the natural gas movement. So part of the problem with, with Westport is that you know Cummins got, got in the picture there and announced they were going to develop their own you know natural gas engine, which then was seen as competition, you know, to Westport. But Westport and Cummins also worked together to produce an engine as well. Uh, so you see a lot of back and forth with these stocks, and a lot of it is just a bet on the future. As far as there's not going to be just a one winner. I mean, I think you're looking at some partnerships and some uh, some relationships that are being established here for the long for the long run. The the important part with this relationship with Volvo is that Volvo is the number one supplier of these 13 liter engines in the U.S. and Canada. So it's a big relationship there and a big deal for Westport now. Whether the the natural gas movement is really going to pick pick up, I, that remains to be seen. I do believe that they're doing the right thing and focusing solely on the trucking industry because consumers just you know you and I are not going to drive a natural gas car. I don't think anytime soon. But you know T Boone Pickens has been very uh, upfront in getting these these stations all around the country on their natural gas highway to support the trucking industry, which is the big focus. But you know you look just through all of this, and it's really interesting to see how T. Boone has just pretty much washed his hands of natural gas in general. He's sold out all of his stake in Chesapeake. He's you know, apparently really pissed at Washington. If you read through these articles, he's just had enough of it. And he says it's like the worst experience in his life, and he's not going to have anything else to do with it. So you kind of wonder how effective it's going to be, but I think at least they're focusing on Beware the Beware the petulant billionaire. That's, yeah. that's the yeah. moral. <laughs> uh, Mike, you watch the energy industry closely. Yeah. We, we've talked about natural gas before. I mean, we, just when it comes to natural gas in the automotive industry, how bullish are you on that future? I mean, I have a very, very hard time foreseeing a circumstance where widespread adoption happens here, at least not notwithstanding a 30-year sort of horizon and a massive New Deal-esque. That's the second time I said that I was in this say. presentation. A <laughs> massive even newer deal. Right. And even a, a New Deal-esque investment in natural gas. Um, the reality is that for medium-haul trucking and even to an extent long-haul trucking, natural gas engines make a great deal of sense because you don't need the extent of the service station infrastructure. In automobiles, it's a much different game. I mean, you're talking... If you have a very efficient automobile, you can get maybe 400, 500 miles to a tank. And so you're talking about a need for a lot of natural gas uh, service station hubs. And that's, that's just very difficult to incentivize that sort of investment and to get consumers on board. Joe? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, gas station owners don't want to serve up natural gas because nobody's driving natural gas-fueled cars, and nobody wants to drive a natural gas-fueled car because they can't get it fueled anywhere. So it's definitely a bit of a catch-22, and it's the reason why we've been dependent on gasoline for so long. So for someone like me who's old, uh, let's step back from Mike Olson's 30-year time horizon. Let's 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 you know, compact that a little bit. Let's Over assume we don't have 30 years yeah. to go. I don't, I don't want to bank on me having 30 years. We're long-term years. investors. Um, <laughs> Let's over the next five to ten years. You look at the automotive industry. There are a lot of ways to play it, from the automakers themselves to you know alternative energy companies to the Westport Innovations of the world. Uh, over the next five to ten years, Joe, I'll just start with you. What's one or two stocks that uh, you think are in a good position? Yeah, I think the automakers are dirt cheap. I think you're going to see a huge rebound in uh, North American vehicle sales. It's been suppressed for a long time. 
Uh, GM and Ford in particular are my favorites there. I own a ton of GM. I think it's dirt, dirt cheap, and Ford's a little more expensive, but it's operating very well. Jason? Yeah, I, I agree with Mike totally. I just don't see natural gas being a consumer play for, for driving anytime soon. We're going to be focused more on driving regular gasoline cars and hybrid cars. I think hybrid technology is really where it's at. So you look at companies like Toyota, even GM and Ford, they're doing a lot to really to really build that hybrid technology out. And so that's where I'd be looking for the next five to ten years. Mike? I think there are two ways to play this theme. I agree with Joe. I think the automakers, I've been on again, off again. I have kind of a, a, a tough love affair with them, and I, I just can't seem to get comfortable with it, that they'll be faithful. Uh, <laughs> another way I like it is... Um, so just to be clear, the automakers are going to cheat on you, well, not the other way around? six times earnings, they can cheat on you occasionally. It I mean, Euro- <laughs> the Europeans, they are, they are spicy. But anyway, <laughs> um, so the other, the other way to play it, or the other end of the spectrum, is the auto dealers. Um, a lot of the auto dealers, they have very interesting business models where they generate about 50%, or actually, no, more like... Uh, and an even greater percentage of their profits from parts and services, which derives from warranties. And that is a stable and recurring source of revenue. They also will participate in the upside from what Joe said. We've had a very depressed rate of U.S. vehicle sales, and it still hasn't yet recovered to a point where we're going to uh, not need a lot more sales in the next, you know, five years. Okay. Joe Mager. Jason Moser, Spicy Mike Olson. Guys, thanks for being here. <laughs> Thank you, sir. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.